Welcome to the Creative Empire Podcast. Each week, Raina Pomeroy, the life and biz success coach, and Christina Scalera, the attorney for creatives, are taking you up close and personal with successful influencers in the creative community and tackling your biggest business hurdles. Their mission is to help you, creative entrepreneurs, think beyond your daily biz so you can make the brave decisions that build your creative empire. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of the Creative Empire Podcast. Today, we have a special treat. Christina and I are here talking to Britt of Swell Press. Swell Press is a boutique design and letterpress company inspired by everything Southern California, which I absolutely adore. And I'm guessing that most of you have pinned something of Britt's work. You have seen her ombre designs and neon edge paintings, and we're going to be talking a little bit about evolving your hobby into a full-time career, as well as some of the other things Britt has done over the course of building her empire. Britt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yay! Now that we've gotten some of that intro out of the way, tell us a little bit about how you got to your, you know, where you are in your business now. It was really organic growth. And it's kind of just that classic story of working your butt off. I started Swell Press just as a hobby. Like it was just a total passion slash curiosity driven hobby. I discovered letterpress by just taking a private class. Um, I took a class up in Glendale from a woman named Mabel and I immediately fell in love with it. And I worked full time in the production industry. So making television and commercials. So I kind of just started exploring letterpress as this side hobby. And I would start making invitations just like for friends, like little party invitations or, you know, some people trusted me with their wedding invitations. And from there, I just kind of, for a couple years, I just did it on the side. I did it during weekends and kind of every free second I got. I loved it. I loved letterpress. I loved everything about it. It was such a great way for me to really like get my hands dirty and kind of have that satisfaction of actually making something, especially because I was so in the digital world with production. So I just, I did it. I started like a little Instagram and I was really nervous and I would just kind of like post some photos of my work. And then from there, it was just kind of like really organic growth. I would try to letterpress as much as I could. So like Every weekend, I would just hustle and I would make invitations for friends and I would like beg people to let me print stuff for them. And then slowly that just kind of picked up till I was doing kind of two full-time jobs. I was doing my full-time production job and trying to, to run Swell Press on the side. And I didn't really know like what my big plan was. I wasn't really trying to build an empire or I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I just knew it was something that it made me really happy. So I did both of them for a couple years until it was just kind of not sustainable to do both. And then I made the jump, which we can go into that later. But that's really the story of Swell Press. I love that so much. And I think it's the experience of a lot of people in terms, especially with like photographers and graphic designers. I hear this really often, like they want to perfect their craft. It makes them really happy to do it. And they want to like practice on actual people. (laughs) So they start doing their thing. And I, when did it turn from, like you said, it wasn't sustainable to keep doing this thing as a hobby anymore. When did you make that decision and what did it look like to switch over? It was a really, really terrifying, hard decision. It just, you know, so maybe my business started picking up. I remember like maybe a year or two in when I finally got the first inquiry that like, wasn't from a friend of a friend, it was like a total stranger. 
And I was like, oh my God, I made it. Finally, it's not someone that I know that I'm going to be printing for. So it was just at the point where I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like I haven't had a day off in God knows how long. And I was really in a fortunate position because I had left my full-time job as a staff member at a production company and I had begun freelancing. And the way freelance production works is it's a really tough schedule because like when you're working, you're working and you're working anywhere from like 12 to 20 hour days, but your projects are a little bit they're longer. So they're a couple weeks, but you can kind of take off. And that's like the freelance life, right? Like, so I kind of just started this ebb and flow where I would do a couple of freelance jobs and then I would take off a couple weeks and I would do swell press. And then I would do a couple freelance jobs and any dollar I made from swell press, I would just put right back into business. So it was kind of just like side money for, you know, maybe one day I would buy another machine. I wasn't quite sure. I was running out of my garage at the time we have a tiny, a tiny house in Manhattan Beach. And I was running out of my one car garage. I had my one press and my one paper cutter. And I was always kind of looking for another letterpress machine. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with it or if the listeners... I'm totally not. So educate us. <laughs> letterpress, it's like a very antiquated, um, like artisan level printing method. And it's not, it's not where you kind of, kind of just plug in a printer and you print. Um, my machine is about one of my machines is about a thousand pounds and every piece of paper is fed by hand and all the ink is mixed by hand. So it's really labor intensive. It's really a craft that took and still takes like quite some time to perfect. So I'd gotten to the point where I was just kind of like looking for other machines. I'm like, okay, if maybe one day I want to do this full time, I probably should get another machine. I was a little terrified that my whole business slash hobby at the time was like riding on the back of this 50 year old vintage machine where like if something broke, like I didn't really know how to fix it. So I started looking for other letterpress machines, which they're really hard to find. Um, They stopped making them in the sixties. So not only are they really rare, but they're really expensive. But I finally, it was kind of fate. I found someone in California that was selling their old machine. So I went and I met with this guy and it just kind of seemed like it was the right time. I don't know if there's ever really like the right time to, to do something like this, but I, I told him, I was like, all right, I want to buy your machines. And he was really nice and just gave me some time to find a place because now not only did I have one machine and I was already kind of outgrowing my garage, you know, it was to the point where I'm sure everyone can relate. It was like, I was taking over the kitchen. Like we didn't even have a kitchen table anymore. It was just like shipping and receiving and like every day just getting packages and boxes and our house just turned into like this little factory. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need more space. So when I made the commitment to get another machine, I was like, all right, I have to get a studio space. And that was really, really scary because I knew that when I took the studio space, I was going to have to do swell press full time. Like I wasn't going to be able to do the freelance production thing. You know, I wasn't going to pay rent for a studio in LA and then go do a production job and not come to it for a month. So in a way, like the stars kind of aligned slash I was just forced to decide like, okay, all right, I'm going to do this somewhat full time. So I bought the machines. I found a studio space, which was really hard to find in LA because I have so much equipment. There was a lot of logistics. Like I needed a certain type of power and I needed ground floor entry and all that stuff. So I finally found a studio space and signed the lease and bought the machines. And then I was like, all right, this is it. I guess I'm going to do it. (laughs) And on more of a logistical 
standpoint, because I, I get asked that a lot. A lot of people ask me, how do you know when it's the right time? And I guess, I think my answer with this and kind of with everything in life, like it's never the right time. I'm not, everything is going to be lined up where you're like, okay, section A, B, and C of my life are perfectly aligned right now. So now it's time I'm going to take this risk. It wasn't really <laughs> yep. time, but I just kind of made a commitment. I was like, well, I guess now is as good a time as ever, right? So I did it and I had saved up enough money for my production career to last me six months. So I was like, okay, if I don't even make a dollar with Swell Press for the first six months, I'm covered there. So that was a choice that I made that I'm in retrospect, very happy I did. And I had enough money, not a ton, but enough money saved with Swell Press where I was able to pay the first couple months of rent and all of that stuff. So that's kind of how it started. That is awesome. I have a couple like very specific questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What year did you, so we're recording this in 2018. What year did you have your first studio space? What year was it? So uh, almost a year, well, when we're recording this, but in April, 2017. That is amazing. Yeah, so I signed that lease. It was April 1st, 2017. And that's when I was like, all right, no more production. I'm going to do this. And so now it's just been just over a year. And I actually just moved from one part of the building to another, which is actually like a slightly larger space um, with better access and better power hookups. That's awesome. And this is like something, maybe like a naive question and you don't have to necessarily answer, but how much does a letterpress machine cost? I mean, it sounds like it's, <laughs> it's very like hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. So they are hard to get. And there's a bunch of different kinds. I have um, Vandercooks, which are... In my research, they are the most rare. They're really hard to find. My first Vandercook was $9,000. And my second Vandercook, and I got a bunch of equipment with it, with it was $15,000. So Vandercooks are super expensive. I also have a Chandler and Price, which is another type of machine. That was only a couple thousand dollars. So they kind of run the gamut. It really just depends on like the model. Some have motors, some don't. Some are manual feeds, some are automatic feeds. So it really depends. I think if someone's looking for a Vandercook, they can expect to pay between, you know, if they got it for like a steal, like 7,000, but anywhere between seven and 15,000 and Chandler and Price, anywhere from like two to 7,000. That's awesome. Thank you. I was just really curious because I have no no concept. (laughs) I know. It's like looking at like a super, like I wouldn't know what like a you know, a 1940s car costs. Like it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I'm just like, I have no clue. So I'm glad that you told us about that. So just to shift gears a little bit, I think that, you know, you have such a beautiful style and very, I think it's very distinctive. And every time I see your Insta stories and the updates that I, I see from you, it's very consistent, but different. If that makes any sense. It's like, so So I was just working with a designer because I'm redoing my branding and I had, this is kind of like a segue into that, but I was, I was working with a designer um, who's helping me. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like I have so many different styles. Like I like the crazy neon colorful just as much as I like a very plain text pressed on paper. So in a like, I feel like my style is everywhere, but at the same time, it kind of all has a cohesive look. So I don't even know. I like everything. I, I like, I like pretty <laughs> things. Like I like good design and that's not limited. You know, sometimes it's just like a, a delicate serif font and other times it's like really nuts. So <laughs> I love it. I think it's just really interesting to see your style. And I'm sure that like your the thing that I feel like everyone copies or maybe tries to copy is part of your arsenal. Can you tell us a little bit about like what has been challenging about that? Or, you know, 
if whatever you're willing to share about how your style has evolved, anything along those lines? I think my style is constantly evolving. And I don't know if it has to do with me as an artist or just kind of like what's popular during the time and what's really speaking to, to people. Like lately, I've seen this huge resurgence in like very minimalist design, which I love. And I'm, you know, totally biased, but letterpress is the best method for minimal design because it's just the method itself is so beautiful. Like I literally think if you just typed like one word on a piece of paper, it's beautiful just because the impression and how tactile it is. So that's definitely evolved. And then I guess, yeah, like I, I, at one point, I think I was going through a real neon phase with real bright colors. And now like I love a good neon and I love colors, but sometimes I like a little bit more subdued palette. And I'm always trying to kind of figure out like what's next. You know, a couple years ago, I started experimenting with like dip dye and that was so fun. And then I saw like it was everywhere. So I'm like, okay, well, what's my next thing? And then it was like blind emboss and then like everyone's doing blind impression. So I think I'm always just trying to think of like, okay, what's next and what can I explore? And I'm mostly, I think I'm driven a lot by just curiosity. Like I'm always just kind of pushing the limits with like what I can press and I think that's why I'm so I'm so fortunate to be in the position that while I was learning to be a designer, I also had my own press to experiment with. And I, I think that's something that not a lot of people um, are fortunate enough to have. So I think that kind of pushed me in a certain direction of exploration, just having access to that. So I don't know. I think I probably went off on a tangent. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because like what do you feel like is next Brit in the world of of stationery and especially letterpress because it's interesting. I mean, there's definitely the cost that is a little prohibitive. Yes. Um if not a lot prohibitive depending on where you're starting from. Yeah. But there's also the shows like the National National Stationery Show, there's also yeah. the like the real cost of goods. It's not just like a coach or a consultant. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm working with a business coach right now actually and I was running over my numbers with her and she like when I told her what my overhead was, her jaw dropped because she's a coach and she usually works with other coaches. And I'm like, you don't understand. I am shipping a physical product. Like this is really, really expensive because not only do I have my machines and the maintenance for my machines and the rent, but I also have a press woman that I pay. And then there's the paper, which is super expensive because letterpress paper is just wonderfully nice and luxurious and it costs a lot of money. So it is prohibitive in that sense, but I feel like it's not going anywhere. Like I feel like letterpress is really exploding and it really excites me because of course, when I bought my press in, you know, what was it? 2014, I remember telling my mom and she thought I was nuts. She was like, why are you buying a printing press? Like, isn't the future like Evites? And of course that's something that's like in the back of my mind. It's like always the 20 year plan of like, is this going to be, will the post office be around in 20 years? But at the same time, like, I think it's exploding now because all of my paper vendors and all of my end envelope vendors and everyone, they're always backordered because I think the demand is so high. Even just in the past six months, it's been this crazy resurgence. I mean, I would agree with you. And I, I think that's really, really interesting that you have that perspective that, you know, we're seeing more and more stationers pop up every day. Yeah. Target, Minted. I mean, everybody's trying to capitalize on the market. And it's it's kind of a race as far as like Minted and the, the Targets and the big box stores of the world go to yeah. emulate you guys, which Letterpress is so interesting because they're never going to be able to copy that. And I just, I don't think they would want to. They don't have the demographic of customer that's going to be interested Mm -hmm. in heavy paperweights and press paper. So 
I think you're right. There will always be a market for letterpress, but like as far as design and creativity goes, what would you wish that you saw more of in the marketplace or what do you, where do you see your style going? Like, how do you set yourself apart? Because even if somebody's out there and they're really appreciating what you're doing, I know a lot of people that follow influencers like yourself are thinking, yeah, but how do I, that works for her, but like, how do I stand out? Cause I don't want to just be an exact copy of Brit Roar. So yeah. Well, and I think that's really important. I've seen some designs out there that have been really heavily influenced by something I've done. And, and it's hard because that's just kind of the world we live in with Instagram. Like the other day I was scrolling through something and I literally, I did a double take because I thought it was like one of my, I thought it was a photo I had done. And then I saw it was someone else's and I'm like, okay, that's such a bummer. But I setting myself apart, I guess setting myself apart, like it kind of happened from the very beginning because I would look around and I would see all of these super successful And I guess it depends on how you want it. Do you want to measure success by Instagram followers? Because I don't know what they're billing. But people that I saw is super successful. And they would do like these beautiful styled flat lays with invitations they had done on like a textured background with like perfectly scattered stamps. And I would try to do that just because like, okay, that's kind of what other people are doing. That seems to be the norm here. That's how I can best like show my work. And then finally, I think what set me apart was the day that I realized I really sucked at it. Like I really sucked at taking that flat lay picture. I really sucked at like delicately placing that stamp. So it looked haphazard, but like beautifully styled. You know, Lauren Saylor of A Fabulous Fet is like the best job doing these beautifully styled flat lays. And it was really the second that I was like, I suck at that, but what can I do? All right, I can take a really good shot of my paper stack on a white background and just make sure the shadow is just right and really highlight what I can do. Because what I can't do is style, but what I can do is I can print beautifully. So I think that's really kind of what helped my style set apart was that I, I don't really have many of those photos, but it was from a lacking of my part. It was from a skill that I didn't have, but I think I used that to make something positive for me. Yeah. So I think that was really important, was really embracing what I could do. And that's how I try to kind of move forward in everything I do. I just think these days with Instagram, it's so easy to be influenced by what other people are doing. And I actually... I don't really go on social media that much. Like I, there are some colleagues I have that are letter pressers as well, but I really try not to look at what other people are doing because I want my design inspiration to come from a place that is so true to me. And I don't want it to be like someone else's. Like there are other people's work that I'm in such admiration of. Like Taryn of Twinkle and Toast, she does beautiful work, but she's like a beautiful calligrapher and watercolor artist. And as much as I would love calligraphy, like I've tried it, it's, I'm not good at it. So I really just try to stay true to myself and to what gives me inspiration. And again, it's like, I live, I live right by the beach and it sounds cheesy, but like every day I'm so in awe of just like the colors and the beauty that surrounds me that that's where I get my inspiration. Like right now there's this weird like flower popping up outside of the studio, but the color combinations is so rad. It's like a sage with this bright yellow. And I like walk by and I'm like, I'm going to do that. That's going to be my next design. So I really try to keep this myopic view of what else I look at just because I don't want to be influenced by anyone else, you know, not only to stay for the fidelity of my own vision, I guess if that like doesn't sound pretentious, but also because the comparison game is real and I don't want to think that I'm not doing things I should be doing or I'm not living up to my own standards or something like that. So 
I guess that's my advice for, for other people is like, I know it's so hard. Like who doesn't scroll through Instagram when they wake up in the morning, but I think it's to really stay true to yourself. And again, like, I don't think when I started, I wasn't a hand, you know, I'm not a hand letterer. I don't think I was like the best designer. So I made up for it by like, okay, but I can watercolor and then letterpress. Like I would use my strengths and really, really use those to make up for the things that I wasn't good at. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing a lot of. Like, yes, there's competition. Yes. There's other people who do what you do, but I think what what you're saying and the bottom line that I kept hearing was you lean into your strengths and you find what, how you can develop your design through those strengths instead of looking at your weaknesses and worrying about those, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, I could spend all day sitting here talking about my weaknesses as, an, <laughs> as a designer and as a business owner, but I'm like, okay, I don't have time for that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I have a quick question for you. So in terms of like you work with your clients, it seems like, and tell us a little bit about how you maybe negotiate is the wrong word because they're the people who are coming to you are already drawn to your style, but how do you make sure that your style is true and you represent or you create something that your clients also want? I'm curious about like that dance of like, yes, yeah. this is in my style and this is what they're looking for too. I think I'm, I'm super fortunate enough that I have enough of an established style that usually when people are reaching out, it's because they're referring to my work and my work only. I think I'm lucky enough that people, when they reach out to me, it's usually my body of work, for lack of a better word. It's usually my body of work that they're referencing. They want something I've done before and things like that. So I'm really fortunate that I don't have to deal with that a lot. I've, I've had a few people in the past who would reference another person and like their work distinctly. And I'm like, then just use them. Like, I'm not going to copy someone's work. What in everything I do, so much labor goes into it and so much love goes into it. I want to make sure that I'm really proud of everything I do and that I can, you know, put it in my portfolio. And if that work is inspired by someone else, it's just not for me. So I have no qualms about saying, if you really like this person's work, go to them. Like, I'm fine with that. I thought it was so interesting what you were saying earlier about finding inspiration from nature, because I don't know that a lot of our listeners know this, but with the podcast, our branding colors, we wanted something different. Everybody at the time, this is about two and a half years ago that we were doing the branding before we Mm -hmm. launched. We launched on May 24th, 2016. And when we were doing the branding colors, it was interesting because everybody was doing blush and gold, mm-hmm. or I'm trying to think of like the other color combinations, a lot of pinks, different colors yes. of pinks, yes, complementary colors. Yeah. So we wanted something totally different. And Raina and I were both kind of like scratching our heads and we had this great designer, but we were still like, what do we do? And I remember like one of the color combos was almost like a stoplight. And I was like, ah, it's not quite it. And Raina's the branding girl. I was just kind of like, ah, oh, if it looks professional and it's good enough, it's good enough for me. But she she has higher standards than I do, thankfully. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but I live in Atlanta and I know you still live here. But yeah. those tulip poplars, they drop around like March, April. They should be dropping any minute now and putting nice little dings in my car. Uh-huh. They have the most beautiful like like these, they call them tulip poplars because they just like bloom into these like tulip looking things that fall onto the ground that are green and yellow and like vibrant orange. And they were so pretty. And I just took a picture of it because I liked it. And then I was like, wait a second. I texted it to Raina. I was like, what do you think of this? And she was like, I like it. And so our designer used that as inspiration. So yes, 100%. I remember the first time I ever, I think I like got on Pantone's radar 
which was like years ago, it was because I was eating a, a pomelo. Is that what you call it? It's like the giant grapefruits. Yeah. And I was so struck by the colors. It was like this like beautiful chartreuse like lime green and this like blushy pink and the color combination. I literally stopped and I Pantone matched it because I was like, I want to print something that color. And I think that's what excites me the most. And obviously it's like, I love a good neon ombre and it's no coincidence. And I love blue watercolor and it's no coincidence. Like I live by the ocean. I watch like beautiful fiery sunsets as often as I can get home from work in time. And like the beautiful water. And that really is just like my biggest source of inspiration. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I used to think it was really cheesy finding inspiration from nature because that's what everybody says. They're all like, Oh, go to nature. But (laughs) I don't think it has to be everybody else's nature. Like if you aren't a beach person, you don't need to find inspiration at the beach just because everybody else is telling you to. Yeah. And Um, I always wonder, it's like, okay, if we lived in Atlanta where I'm from, it's like, what, what would my inspiration be like the beautiful greens, you know, and like the beautiful trees that are there. It's just funny. Sometimes I wonder like if I took myself and planted me in a different, you know, geographical location, what would, how would that dictate my design? For sure. And yeah, I mean, that's a good point, though, because if you live in the Southwest or, you know, even like the difference between Phoenix and Sedona, it's so different. And one of the things that I actually, so I travel a lot. I mean, I'm all over the country in different areas. And if I just had unlimited funds, all I would do all day long is go to different parts of the country hang out and then bring those shops to different other areas of the country. Mm -hmm. So for example, I would like open up a moon juice in Atlanta instead of just Venice Beach, California. (laughs) So I think that's one of the fastest ways to get out of a rut. And I love that you brought this up, Britt, because it's one of the fastest ways to get out out of the rut is using this kind of inspiration, but maybe thinking outside of the box. And you don't even have to be that, like, even if you're not in a creative mode, or mm-hmm. mood, you can just go somewhere else for the weekend, like fly across the country. Oh, take 100%. And I'm the queen of overworking myself and getting into ruts. And that I think it's, it drains my inspiration. And I'm, it really takes for me to be like in a certain place to, to get in that like creative zone. And for me, it's not when I'm overworking. It's usually when I've, you know, whether the weekend means I'm at home or whether I've gone somewhere, but that's when the inspiration strikes me. It's when I've like physically removed myself from trying to like force myself to come up with a design and when I'm just like running along the beach and then I'm like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. So I think it's not only like the, the visual part of nature, but it's also just being a little bit, you know, or a lot removed from the tasks at hand and letting your mind wander. Yeah, I think it's so natural to kind of want to hunker down and do the work and hustle and all of that stuff. But it's funny because with creatives, that's what we need. We need the space and the open space to be able to explore and to play and to do things that aren't in front of the computer a lot of the time. 100%. And and it's kind of, it's like I have a conflicting opinion about it because on one hand, I would not have gotten where I am today without working my butt off for the past like three or four years. Like if I hadn't worked myself to death with only a couple days off each year and really like burn the candle at both ends to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to have a heart attack if I keep going that like at this speed, I don't think I would have gotten to where I am. And I'm still, so on one hand, like I, I totally admire and I think the hustle is necessary But then there gets to a point where it's totally counterproductive. Like, I think it's, you need that space. And right now I'm, 
as I think my business grows and I get busier, I've, I see myself like becoming one of those like super kind of like, I'm like a little precious with my like creative time. Like when, you know, like I, I can't be in the studio, I need to either be like outside or at home with like a totally free, just like with my mind running and stuff like that. And I think that's where being running a creative business is hard because you can't turn it on. Like it's not nine to five. I can't be like, okay, I have this custom design and I'm going to start it at 9am and I'm going to spend four hours drafting and then come up with a really great idea by 2pm. Like that's just not how it works. Sometimes it's a week of agonizing. Like, will I be able to do this? Will I be able to see this client's vision through? Will I be able to capture this? And then like at the last second, when I think that like, I'm awful and I'm, and I'm going to have to tell them I can't do it. That's when all of a sudden at like 2am, I'm like, wait, this is brilliant. It's like totally that creative, like ebb and flow of like, I've seen it on Pinterest a million times where it's like the creative process. It's like, I'm a genius. I'm awful. I'm terrible. Wait, I think I'm okay. It's like that crazy roller coaster of emotions. But now I'm, I'm so used to that almost that when I'm at that point of the creative process where I'm just like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to see out their vision for this beautiful Ojai wedding. I almost know now like that it's just a phase and I'm going to push through it. I think it's really cool though, that you know that about yourself and that's part of the creative process, right? And I think when I was saying that you don't need to be in your office or whatever, I think that there, you're absolutely right that the hustle exists and you have to put in the work and time and energy to get your business up and running. And there's certain parts of your business, like putting yourself out there, marketing, that's yeah. not something that you can unhustle, right? Like you can't yeah. just be in your creative flow to get there, but there are certain parts, like specifically creative parts, you do have to give yourself a little bit of room and space. I remember my designer who's currently, she was doing our branding and was trying to come up with patterns. She was like, I can't put a timeline on this. I'll give myself like this particular like couple weeks, but not like by this particular date or whatever. And she came up with the coolest things. And I think that's just giving yourself time to do that is what makes that creative juice flow. So yeah, I'm just always curious about people's creativity and how it comes about. And the fact that you know that as long as you have something you're working toward, it, it will it will come about, I guess, is what it sounds like. Yeah, it's such like an arduous process, but it always ends up working out. But that's where, you know, and with growing a business, that's kind of something I've also explored is it used to be like, okay, I would do everything. And I guess I'm kind of like jumping topics now, but like, you know, at first it's like, okay, I would answer all emails. I would do all invoicing. I would ship it out. I would do QC. I would do designing. And you know, it was a one woman shop, just like I'm sure like most of the listeners are in this position. And then as the business grows, I have to stop and think like, well, where is my time most valuable? And my time is most valuable when I'm in the creative zone, doing what I love to do and what I know none of no, none of the people that help me can do. Like that's where my time is most valuable. Like as much as sometimes like I want to make the shipping labels because I want to get it done. It's like, no, you need to be very like use discretion as to where you're putting your energy. So sometimes it's almost like stepping away and, and letting someone else do the things that uh, I'm so grateful that now I'm in that position where I've, I have a couple employees who I trust to do those types of things. And I know that that's not something that's accessible for everyone. Um, Well, I think it's a really good point too, right? Because it's the most difficult period of time, I think for me has been that decision-making point of, am I a solo show or do I, do I expand and have somebody on, on my team? And I think when you decide that, yes, my time is better spent doing something else, that's, that's the scary jump for me and figuring out, okay, who is the best team member to bring on board or whatever. So 
and it is, it's totally scary. Like I remember, you know, Kate, um, who's my press woman, she started as an intern and just see, and I had never had any help. You know, I, my husband helped me, but like beyond that, I never had steady help and just seeing what, what, what one other person do and how I was like so freed up because being a designer and a printer it's difficult. Most people are either designers and then they get their stuff printed elsewhere or they're printers and they print like plate ready files. There's only a handful of people that actually do both. And as I go and I try to grow my business and I try to make a profit, I realize why that is. It's because it's really hard. Like you're spending all day designing this new work because that's what kind of brings in the, the business, right? It's like the new idea of designing the clients, but then you have to stop and print the things that you designed for them. So then like the getting the new work is on hold. So that was a hard lesson. But now that I have my press woman, it's like I'm free to design and I do press checks and I help her set stuff up, but she prints a ton of stuff and she also helps with clients and all that. So, so good. I like if you find like good help will pay for itself or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's that in my instance is 100% of, of the case. Like it's been, so it's been an entire, it's been a game changer. I love that. Well, if you were to look back on day one Brit, as you were building your creative empire, what, not knowing that you weren't necessarily like building an intentional, like creative empire, what would you say to her to get to where you are now? I'm going to answer this. I can say two things. One thing is like very, like woo. And one thing is very like logistical. The first thing I would say from a logistical standpoint, and I I talked about this on Instagram once, but I really want to hammer this down for people is when I started, I was a one woman show. I was doing everything and I had no systems in place, right? Like I had, I would use the notes app on my Mac and that was like my to-do list and my to ship list and my supplies to order list and everything. And all of my correspondence with people was just through email and my to-do list. It was all just in my head, right? And that was fine. But then when I started growing, I realized that I had never put any kind of like task management system in place or any kind of procedure for clients, really. Like I would, we would design and we would email and like sometimes certain things would come first and other times they would come last. And it was just kind of like a hodgepodge and it totally worked at the time. But then as I'm sitting here and I I have an employee in-house and then I have a remote employee and I'm trying to train her, I'm like, I 100% I wish that when I began... I started putting those systems in place. I started either using like Asana or Dubsado or HoneyBook or something like that as a task management tool. And then the growth would have been a little bit more organized. And I know that's such a bummer because I know that when you're starting, all you want to do is make the stuff. Like all you want to do is the creative stuff. You don't want to stop and be like, well, hold on. Uh, If I broke this down into steps, what step would this be? Like you don't want to do that. But I wish I had done that from the beginning um, because when I did, I, when I hired Caroline, my new hire, I just gave her like a pile of just crap. And I was like, this is all the stuff I do. It is not organized. Can you please make sense of this? And she has been amazing because now we're all, I use Dubsado and now like everything is super organized. Like when there's a new client, there's a lead form they fill out and then there's a new client contract and there's a payment schedule and there's a proofing form and all of that stuff. So from like a real strategic standpoint, that is something that I would highly suggest that whether you have a hobby or a craft or something where you have this dream of making it a full-time business, it would be to start early, really laying that solid foundation of those steps to follow and those procedures. So if you do get fortunate enough to bring another team member on, it makes sense kind of right off the bat. So that's like my guide, I guess. 
And then my more like what, I don't know what you want to call it. I guess it just would be to like, to keep going. I can't tell you in the past, in the past couple of years when I was just starting out, like how many times I wanted to quit, like nothing would go right. Like I, I moved into my studio and I had like this really bad thing happen, like a bunch of really crappy things happened. And if it wasn't for my husband being like, no, you need to do this. I don't think I would, I would have kept going. So I'm so lucky that I have that support system. But I think it would just be to like, to trust in the process and to trust that if you really, really love something, and if you're really willing to work your butt off at it, like it will turn out okay. Um, Love that. So two really good pieces of advice. (laughs) And and I get it. Like, it's hard. Like, I I think people might, I don't know, but maybe sometimes people like look at me and they think I've like got it all figured out. And I'm like, no, I am still trying to figure it out. Like I am just now into a year of having a studio. And the first two months I was in my studio last year, I didn't even buy furniture because I was so scared that I had made a terrible mistake. I was like nauseous every single morning it was a, it was a really, really rough time. Like I didn't really like let on to it, but it was really hard. And I think that's, it's just to kind of keep going. I know it's cheesy, but when I, I remember I just moved into my studio and I rented the movie Moana (laughs) and how like, I remember just watching it, how she just cut like every step she takes, there was something in the way. And I remember crying and being like, Oh my God, that's me. Like that there's just always these roadblocks. And now I think when, when there is a hiccup or when something goes wrong, which is inevitable, stuff goes wrong all the time. Like it's not perfect. I think now I just kind of look at it. Like it's like a little pebble in the road and you know what, like I might trip over it, but I'll keep going. As opposed to what I think a year ago, I looked at every single hiccup and every mistake, like a giant boulder, like this is going to prevent me from doing this. And am I making the right decision? And now I think I'm a lot more resilient as far as like, okay, that's all right. Like, you know, shit happens and I'll figure it out. (laughs) So good. I love that. I think a lot of people are having their own Moana moments and slash Brit moments. And they're definitely not like, I know I'm making wedding invitations. I'm not like saving the the planet or anything. (laughs) Well, but it it is still important stuff, right? And like you're building your business and it's, it feels that, you know, that big and that personal all at once. And so I feel like our listeners are going to really empathize and like hear that and feel that with themselves. Yeah. And it is. It's so personal. You know, I left a super demanding, really high stress job because I wanted to have a life that I kind of lived by my own terms and a life that I dictated. And now there were days when I'm like, oh my gosh, I left the world's best job because it is so, everything I do is so personal. Every time you send that first draft to someone or the final product, it's like, oh my God, I hope they love it. Like it's, everything is so personal. It is the 180 from having that kind of job. So it's like, not only like if things mess up, at a normal job, you're like, okay, that sucks, like whatever. But if things mess up, like it's like my heart that hurts. So totally. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? I think that this is going to be such an impactful conversation. You're going to get a lot of DMs or messages. I hope so. (laughs) Where Um, can people connect with you and see more of your work if they haven't somehow already? The best place to find me is Swell Press on Instagram. I'm at Swell Press and I post a lot of my work there. And then I'm in the process of redoing my website now. So hopefully by the time this airs, my new website will be up. And my um, website is Swell Press Paper. It's S-W-E-L-L Press Paper. It's swell like an ocean swell, not like, gee, that's swell. Um, 
<laughs> I try to make sure everyone knows that. And I hopefully by the time this is running, I'll have my blog series going, which I I plan on opening up about the struggles of being a creative entrepreneur um, a little bit more. And it's not to complain. Like I, I don't ever want to seem like I'm saying like, oh, woe is me or I'm such a hard worker. But it's just to be like, we are all in this together. It is not as easy as people make it seem. And like, and sometimes just knowing, just knowing that you're in this together with someone is really all you need to make you a little bit stronger moving forward. Such a good last takeaway. So everyone listening out there, keep going and go build your creative empire. Are you ready to build your own empire? For more information, show notes, downloads, and tips on how to do it, head to www.creativeempire.co where you can find out more about this week's episode and the two lovely ladies behind it all, encouraging you to build your own creative empire. If you enjoyed this week's show, it would mean so much to Raina and Christina if you could take two minutes to go to iTunes and leave a review. It's a little thing that makes a big difference for the show. 